Welcome to the Fairview Church Podcast. At Fairview Church, we are dedicated to reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. To find out more about our church, including service times, location, and current sermon series, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org. Just want to give a little bit of uh, an explanation for the direction we're going this morning in the scriptures as well as in these next couple weeks. So uh, how many of you all know Sandy Bumbleo here? So Sandy's back here in the corner. She's not going to stand up. So Sandy uh, came into our offices on Wednesday, and, and I always enjoy time with Sandy. And uh, she said, we need to hear what God is saying to you. And she said, not your books, <laughs> not your sermon, not what do you have in your sermon series plan, but what is God actually saying to you? And, uh, and it, was, it was just this moment where I said, well, it's interesting because over the past two weeks, I've been thinking a lot about the kingdom of God and I preached on that at some level two weeks ago. And then last week, Pastor John's message, I didn't know what he was going to share. But what he shared about the armor from Ephesians, to me, was helpful in thinking that through. What does that mean to live in the kingdom of God and the realities of the fact that there is this kingdom of darkness around us? And so one passage in particular had been in my mind, uh, which is this passage about Israel asking for a king. And God basically saying, you don't know what you're asking for. This isn't going to go well. So this has been circulating. I've been thinking, okay, what does that mean? Well, then that morning, Wednesday, uh, in my Bible reading, I read 1 Samuel 1 through 8. Uh, and I didn't know until I was reading it that, that that 1 Samuel is where that passage is. And so I'm sitting here. I've been thinking about this passage. And then I read that particular passage in 1 Samuel 8. And then Sandy comes in and saying, what's God saying? You know, specifically, and I was like, well, this has really been one of those things. You, you could mark it up as a coincidence. I think I'm believing less and less in coincidences. And so we had that conversation. And then I walked out of there and went to D group. Well, just so happened we went back, or my men's D group, and we looked at Acts 13 as well as Acts 14, which was the end of what we hadn't covered the week before. Well, I, I, lo and behold, that, that passage is referenced in Acts 13 where he says they went, the people went to Samuel and they asked for a king. And Samuel, you know, you don't know what to do, but God basically allowed them to have Saul as a king. And so it was, it was like, okay, there's something happening here. This is three, uh, which four if you add, you know, Sandy's input, that's like right at the same time. Okay, I, I want to pay attention to that. So I changed where I had been going and what we were going to cover this morning. And I'm really wanting to lean into the kingdom of God. And I want to lean into this passage in particular this morning. And I'm going to share at least what, what I have found at this point in my own journey. And if it's bad, you can blame it on Sandy. So I would ask if you would stand with me once again in honor of reading God's word. This is First Samuel chapter 8. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and went to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, look, you are old 
and your sons do not walk in your ways. Therefore, appoint a king to judge us, the same as all the other nations have. When they said, give us a king to judge us, Samuel considered their demand wrong. So he prayed to the Lord. But the Lord told him, listen to the people and everything they say to you. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me as their king. They are doing the same thing to you that they have done to me since the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, abandoning me and worshiping other gods. Listen to them, but solemnly warn them and tell them about the customary rights of the king who will reign over them. Samuel told all the Lord's words to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, these are the rights of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and put them to use in his chariots, on his horses, or running in front of his chariots. He can appoint them for his use as commanders of thousands or commanders of fifties to plow his ground and reap his harvest or to make his weapons of war and the equipment for his chariots. He can take your daughters to become perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He can take your best fields, vineyards, and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He can take a tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give them to his officials and servants. He can take your male servants, your female servants, your best young men, and your donkeys and use them for his work. He can take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves can become his servants. When that day comes, you will cry out because of the king you've chosen for yourselves. But the Lord won't answer you on that day. The people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we must have a king over us. Then we'll be like all the other nations. Our king will judge us. Go out before us and fight our battles. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I want us to consider uh, from this passage what the kingdom of this world looks like and what it is that makes the kingdom of God unique and what it means for us today to actually live in the kingdom of God. The first thing I want us to see is the deception of scarcity. Now, to understand this idea of the kingdom of God, we have to go to the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis. God created everything, and we see that Adam and Eve are in the garden, and God gives them all of the trees of the garden to eat. He gives them abundance. He gives them everything that they need, everything that they can want. And this is this picture of the kingdom of God, that, that God provides abundantly according to all of our needs in the garden. And, and this is this power that God displays through his generosity and through his love. And so Adam and Eve and this representation of humanity are created to live. You, let me bring it here, and I, we are created to live with the mentality of God's abundance. Does that make sense? We are created 
to live with a complete trust in the God who is all-powerful and all-loving, who has all abundance available to him, will provide for our needs. And is there any, when he gives to us, you think about this, the God who creates the universe, when he gives to us, is there anything that's lost? Is there any depreciation in that giving? No. So we see that. There's, there's never scarcity. There's never depreciation. There's only more and more abundance. In fact, our experience of his love and abundance grows based on the amount that we need. Do we see that? So the more that we need of God's grace, the more that we need of his love, right, the more we're able to experience because of that need. So this is this mentality, this way of living in the kingdom of God, where all of our needs are provided abundantly beyond all that we could ever ask or imagine. So does that make sense? This is where the kingdom of God begins. And I believe this is where we as human beings are created to live with this view of the world. However, we see another power enter the scene. So there's the power of God, which is the power of generosity, the power of love. And now we see another power enter into the equation, which is the serpent. And what he does is point out not all that God has given all that is available, this endless abundance. But what does he point out? He points out lack. Does that make sense? He draws their attention very specifically. They could eat from all the trees of the garden. They had all abundance available to them. But he points to the one exception that God made, the one tree that God said was off limits. And he says, did God really say you can't eat from any tree of the garden? Now, how often in your world do you focus on what you do not have? Anybody admit you spend more time thinking about what you don't have than all the things that you do have? Okay, daily, thank you. I appreciate that, brother. Yes, this is how we operate. And this is, this is the same principle that we see. It's this, it's the, as opposed to the abundance of the kingdom of God, it is the scarcity of the kingdom of this world. It's the mentality that, that these resources um, are, are not infinite, right? But that they're limited and that we have to take. What did he tell them to do? Instead of simply receiving from the abundance of God, he tells them to, to take for themselves, Right, And this is what is inherent to the kingdom of this world. If there's some level of scarcity, then we have to take. We have to provide. Right, We have to uh, ultimately trust somehow in what we can get, what we can gather. And, and he's, he's pointing them to something, just think about this for a second, outside of themselves that they need. So just who they are with God is not enough. They need something outside of themselves, fundamentally. And, and now we think about our own lives. There is, how much do we think? There's something outside of myself that I need. There's some substance that I need, right? There's some money or 
or possession that I need in order to be secure, right? There's some person, there's, there's something fundamentally outside of me that I need, that I am lacking in and of myself that I need in order to be okay. And because that now is how we view the world, how do we feel? Well, what happens if we can't get that thing that we need? How do we feel when those kind of thoughts come up? Anxious. What happens if the stores run out of all this stuff? <laughs> right? That's, that's the kind of thinking that we begin to have. It's this, this scarcity way of thinking. And, it, and we're anxious. We're uncertain. And the people of Israel, here's what we see is taking place in Samuel, had everything that they needed with God. He had provided them everything that they needed, and he wanted them to come to him and to trust in him, to listen to his word, to pray. And as long as they did that, what did he promise them? He would provide everything that they need. So they had this abundance available to them. But there is, once again, this lie that creeps in. We need something that we do not have. We need something outside of ourselves. We need something outside of God and his provision and his direction. And this is the same lie. It's, it's the lie that defines the kingdom of this world. And it's the same lie we see in the garden. It's the same lie we see taking place at the end of this time of the judges in the scriptures. And it's the same lie that takes place in our own minds and causes so much anxiety and uncertainty even this morning. Well, not only do we see the deception of scarcity, but secondly, we see the drive for security. When we feel insecure, we feel uncertain, we feel anxious, what do we look to in order to provide us with security? Well, oh, I would say it, there are higher levels of power that we look to. But at the height of this chain, in some level, is, is a political power, right? There are, there are these systems of government, this kind of this hierarchy that we look to. And this gives us security. We think of the word social what? Security, right? Just think about that, right? Just trust the government. We'll take care of you. We'll give you security, that's this mentality. That's, that's how things operate, and it's how this world's organized. And this is where we see the people of Israel looking, verse 5. They said to him, look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Therefore, appoint a king to judge us, the same as all the other nations have. Now, if you have children or young family members, what do they typically want? What, who has? Other people, right? So there was no need in their brain, but then they went to school and they saw what other people had around them. And guess what all of a sudden they need? Right, the same, this is how we operate. We have no real need, but all of a sudden we become aware of something that other people have. And now it becomes to us something that we need And this is what they see the king and the governmental system that these other nations have. 
And all of the sudden, they want, just like a kid, what the other people have. And they believe they need a king, they need this particular form of government in order to be secure. Now, this request for a king is a slap in the face. Who is the person who's supposed to be leading Israel? Ultimately God, but as a human, it's Samuel, right? And he operates as this priest and judge. So he's hearing from God. He's praying to God. He's giving the words that God gives. So he's leading as this priestly judge. And so this is a slap in the face to Samuel, first of all. We need something other than you. And so Samuel responds. Now, naturally, kingdom of this world, we would be offended, right? But what does Samuel do? He's, he, he doesn't experience his offense. He goes and he prays. And he asks God, just like he always has in the midst of his leading. And so as he prays, um, so Samuel considers their demand wrong. So he prayed to the Lord. Verse seven, but the Lord told him, listen to the people and everything they say to you. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me as their king. And so just like you all were aware of, not only are they rejecting Samuel, ultimately God says, it's not about you. Right? How often are we offended because we think it's about us? We take things so personally. <laughs> and Samuel says, no, this isn't about you. This is, this is with me. They're rejecting me as their king. And so he basically tells Samuel, hey, you got to make it, give them the fine print. Tell them exactly the contract of kings, what they are actually getting into. And so Verse 10, Samuel told all the Lord's words to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, these are the rights of the king who will reign over you. He will, what? Take. Okay, if you remember two weeks ago, as we're in John, and we're going through the way that the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem were aligning with the worldly kingdoms, this is how the kingdom of this world operates. I'm telling you, I'm seeing this so consistently. This is how the world operates. A king those in power from a worldly system will always what? They will always take. That's, that's how it works. And so he goes through all the things that a king will take. He'll take your sons and he'll send them into his military. He'll take your daughters and he'll basically use them as his slaves. He'll take the best of your fields. Uh, there will be a, a 10% GST, right? Uh, which is grain and sheep tax. <laughs> so that's what he'll establish. He'll take 10% of your grain and 10% of your sheep. Thanks for laughing. I appreciate that. Uh, he'll take you to be, ultimately, this is what represents all of this. He'll take you to be his what? Servants. And this is the system that God freed them from. Right? This is, but this is where they are once again becoming enslaved to the very source of security that they're looking for. And we will see this play out. In essence, what's going to happen is you're going to see the kingdom of Israel, in essence, become just like Egypt. And, and this is a theme, we don't always see it as we're reading through these, but as you look at even the good ones, even the good kings, like David, right? He still does this. They all do this. Solomon ends up basically being Pharaoh. Right? And, and again, this is where we see it. It's how this intertwining 
takes place. And, and in Jesus' day, this has happened. It's, it's all come to seed. Because now, who is actually the king of Israel in the day of Jesus, in the first century? Judea. Caesar. So their king actually is the king of Babylon, the king of Rome. It's, it's taken its full effect. And, and the Jewish leaders, they're just, they're just a dog and pony show, right? They play for the king. And, and, and you see that, you're going to see this in John when they say, when, when they're going to stand before Pilate, we have no king but who? Caesar, right? So this is all in place. It's how the kingdom of this world is going to infiltrate. This is what God is saying. And, and it's going to cost you across the board. And, and I want to see that this is not just a political commentary, although I think it's important for us to consider seriously the effects of this, but this is a spiritual reality that means so much, I think, for how we, we think in general. What do you look to for security? I want to suggest that the biblical spiritual principle is whatever that is, it is taking from you. Whatever that, it's just, this is a law of the universe. <laughs> this, is, this is reality. Anything other than God, this source of abundance and freedom and love, that you are looking to for security, there is a gravitational pull that's, it's taking from you. It's taking your time, it's taking your energy, it's taking your peace, it's taking your money, right? On and on and on we could go. So I think this is where we have to, to realize how, how this is not just a political discussion, right? And, and we are ruled by, to go back to the garden, we become ruled by fears that whatever it is we look to for our security might be what? Might be taken away. So how much, I mean, just think about a giving week. I appreciate your all's honesty earlier. How much of the anxiety, the anger, the fear that we experience is that something that we're trusting in might be taken away from us? Or that we might not get something that we think that we need? So how does that actually affect our lives? Is it a positive net effect? All of those dependencies and attachments that we have? So I'll be honest, this is, I've, I've seen this very clearly in my own life this week. And so maybe in our conversation, Sandy, uh, this is God showing, maybe he's not showing it to you, but he's showing it to me, right? And how much I am affected by all of this. And, and how much not, Truly looking to God and his kingdom for my security to, to actually trust, right? At, the, at a deep level, not just saying I trust, but like at an ingrained level, I have everything that I need, <laughs> right? How much that actually is affecting me and the people around me and the situations that I experience. And I've been saying, and one of the things that I, I told Sandy when we were talking, and I've said this to several of you here, that, that there was something that took place when I had cancer 
that was so freeing. And I've been trying to get back there ever since. And I haven't quite figured it out. And maybe some of you have had a situation like this. And you, and you know what I'm talking about. You get into a place where you're wide open. You, you trust and you really don't have those fears. That's all I can say. It's like you, you, don't, you don't have the same, the things that you, that so much of my last week I spent worrying about, I, I didn't worry about. It didn't matter, right? It really didn't. And, and I have a friend who I was talking about and he said, I had an experience, my house burned down. And he said, everything that I had went up in flames and I've never felt more free. And he said, literally, I was sitting there, I'm watching these flames engulf my, engulf my house and I had more freedom. It was like this weight was lifted off of me. Why is that? I mean, I'm just, I'm literally, why is it that those kind of moments when everything that we think is important that we really look to for security and provision and, and uh, you know, identity. Why is it that in these moments when all of it is, is either lost or could be lost, that we actually, for the first time, are free? And, and so my question is, is, is that, I'm really processing this, is, that even, is it possible to live that way all the time? <laughs> right? Because I don't want to get cancer again. But I, but I would love to be back in that place. And, and my friend doesn't want his house to burst down, burn down again, but I know he would love to not have the shackles that he now has to his stuff. Right? And to the systems that are necessary to keep it. And, and, and this is where I think there's so much wisdom in the fact that Jesus says, render, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God, what is God's? Because he's saying, look, Caesar, ha- that's those coins that you have, they've got Caesar's image, the money that you all have in your wallets, right? Here's the deal. This is an inescapable law. Taxes are coming, right? It's how the system of this world, and it's necessary to operate. And, and it's just, it's how it works, right? But God owns your soul right? and your allegiance, your trust. And so you can give to Caesar, you can pay your taxes, you can have all these realities, but he can take, the, the kingdom of this world can take your money and your stuff, but only you give your allegiance. Does that make sense? Nobody can take your trust. Nobody can take your trust. Maybe that's it. Nobody can take, but I can, I, you can, you only can give it. Does that make sense? People can't, you, and maybe that's the lie. It's like, oh, this is how, no, you are choosing to give that trust. You are making that decision right now, today. Like I, right now, I am choosing to give that trust. And that's the enslavement that I'm choosing for myself. There's a lot of this message and not a lot of time to go, but that's, I think the opposite, so third and finally, the deliverance of a savior. So how does it go for Israel? Well, we've already said it doesn't go well, right? These kings are a train wreck. They do what God says they'll do. And this is where we see all of this sets up the contrast between Jesus and every other king. Jesus is not 
like any of these kings of Israel. He's not like any other world leader because he doesn't take, right? John 18, 36, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. So it's not the same kind as the kingdoms of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, right? To take back, like, just like Adam and Eve in the garden, to grasp, to hold on to, to protect, to control, so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. So he's not a king like these other kings. He doesn't take, and he doesn't tell his people to take by the sword. Instead, he gives, Matthew eleven twenty eight. come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. John 10, 27 through 28, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hands. No one will snatch them out of my hands. That's what? What is it to actually believe that? What does that mean? Security, right? Hey, there it is. It's real. And the degree that I will experience the freedom that is in that is the degree that I actually believe it's true. I can't make any of you trust that. I can't, like... But to the degree that I'm able to live in that kingdom, that world, right? That's the, the way in which I'm able to, to have this freedom, this security. And this is what, the only thing Jesus takes from you is what? Your sins. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He takes away, that's the only thing he takes on the cross. But what does he give? Right? He gives forgiveness, he gives life, he gives joy, he gives peace. His love, right? And, and what I would suggest, based on my view of the world, is that what we actually, in all of these things that we're seeking after, that we're pursuing, what we actually need, the desire that's behind all of that searching and, and effort, is the love of God. That that constant sense of assurance of his love, his provision, his protection, nothing can separate you. That reality, not because of anything we do to deserve it, but just because he's the God who is love, right? He gives it freely. That if we could actually live in that, constant awareness and, and, and sense of love that it would give us freedom from all of these other things. And I think there's people who, I think it is possible. And, and there, are, there are people I know who live in that. And I think there are moments where I really do live in that. But I think that's the kingdom of God. Right? And I think I think that's what we're invited into. And so we go from that. So just quickly, because I wanted to talk about this, you know, with midterm elections and our role in our society. So we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So Christ is our king. Our ultimate loyalty, our ultimate allegiance is to him. Does that make sense? That's what it means for us. When we go through the waters of baptism, we're saying, my allegiance is to you. Team Jesus, right? But we still have this citizenship where we are. And we're to care about the people around us. We're to vote for people who will, who will bring about the, the flourishing and the blessing of the people around us. We're to, to, to bring the allegiance to Christ into our citizenship here. 
right? And to stand for things and, and to engage and, again, to, do, to be good citizens across the board, right? Because, because we want to see Christ represented through us. And so these are, you know, these are things why, these are why we, again, we vote, we engage in the process, we take the steps we can, we stand for the things that we think are important, we, we do all, and at the end of the day, if Caesar or whatever ever tells us to do something that is completely contrary to what Jesus tells us in his authority, who do we obey? Jesus, right? When that actually comes to that level of a crossroad, that's where we stand. And yet we, and yet we live. The reality is for this time, we're in this kingdom and it's, it's how the world operates. But what we remember is that all kingdoms come to an end. Rome came to an end. That's every kingdom of this world, every leader of this world comes to an end. Jesus is the only king. He's already died and risen again and he's not going to die again. Make sense? And his kingdom never ends. And so that's what we remember when we take the Lord's Supper. I asked the man to come. Because what we are, what we are remembering is first, when we take the supper, we are, we are giving our loyalty or our allegiance to Jesus. And, and we're reminding ourselves that he's our king. And, and, and as our king, he feeds us. That makes sense? So as we take the bread, we drink, he is feeding us. He is he is providing for us. John 6.51 says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will, what? Give for the life of the world is my flesh. So he gives us himself. And, and symbolically, symbolically, he gives us everything that we need. And so as we, as we take the supper, and yeah, we've got... Our deacons coming around. If you if you don't have the elements, if you would just raise your hand, and they'll make sure that you get those. Thank you, gentlemen. We got one. So Jesus, as our King, as we gather together as His people, as a church, and we remember we're we're doing this along with people all over the world. Okay. And we're reminding ourselves of the fact that he's our true king, but we're receiving from him, right? Ultimately, your employer doesn't feed you, right? Jesus feeds you. Jesus provides what you truly need. He provides forgiveness for all of the sins that you've committed. He provides you with freedom through his spirit. To no longer be entrapped to all these enslavements, right? He provides you with the joy of knowing that he'll never leave you or forsake you. And so we, we experience as we receive from our King. Thank you for listening to the Fairview Church podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org.